Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount in the, in the section on anxiety. Jesus teaches us how to be set free from anxiety. How many want to be set free Amen. from the spirit of anxiety, worry, nervousness, fear? Jesus is going to speak prophetically to you in the greatest sermon ever preached from the greatest man who's ever lived on this subject. If you missed last week, go back and listen to it. We're going to continue this week and next week, one more week on it. So kind of a trilogy on this subject. And I think it's, it's needed and we're going to try and hit all sides of it. Last week, there was a, a phenomenal moment where we put our hands on our minds and we renounced any open doors and we renounced that spirit off us. That's something you can do. It's just say, I don't receive this thing. But today I want to give you a, a little bit more practical advice, talking about your heart, your mind, your lifestyle. Then next week, we're going to get really practical. Matthew chapter 6, verse, let's begin in verse 27. Matthew 6, verse 27. If you're there, say, I am there. Matthew 6, 27, Jesus says this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do not be anxious, he says three times. Anxiety is a modern plague on society. It is a virus of the heart and mind. And it seems like it is attacking and overcoming a large portion of this society and an extremely large portion of the young people of this society. It is something that wants to overwhelm and overtake you and keep you little, keep you less, make you small, keep you down. That's the goal. And see, the problem is anxiety arises when there's a loss of control, when there's confusing circumstances, or when you're chasing the wrong thing. This is when anxiety begins to arise in your life. When there's a loss of control, confusing circumstances, times, moments you don't understand, or when you are chasing, seeking the wrong thing. But the Christian has an antidote to anxiety. The saint has an antidote to anxiety. The Christian has an antidote to anxiety because it knows an all-loving, all-powerful, almighty God who you can trust. See, the antidote, our antidote to anxiety is an almighty God who you can trust in all your circumstances. Because here's the truth. Anxiety must make way for the Almighty. 
Whenever a king would come to town, the herald would go before and say, make way, make way for the king. And it didn't matter who you were, you had to get out of the road. And make no mistake, when the presence of God wants to come into your home and into your life, a herald, the Holy Spirit comes and says, make way, make way, the king is coming. Therefore, depression must flee. Anxiety must flee. Confusion must flee. These little cowardly spirits must flee because the king of kings, the king of glory, the matchless one, the all-powerful one, the strong one, he wants to come in and make his home in your home. Therefore, every other thing must make way. It has no choice because it has no authority. The king is coming. Can you say amen? How many say the king is coming into my home? It must make way, but you have a choice and you have a part to play. Sometimes people talk about anxiety as if it's something so overwhelming that they don't even know where it comes from. They don't know how it, it takes hold and they feel powerless. But make no mistake, you do have a choice when it comes to anxiousness and worry and fear. And your choice is this. Do you try and control or do you choose to trust? Do you try and control the circumstances of your life? Try and control what everyone around you is going to do, going to say. Try and control every little aspect, the schedule, the things to come, the future, the past. Yourself tightens you up. It makes you full of fear and nervous. Again, as I defined anxiety last week as fear of the possible future. Try and control or do you choose to trust? I don't know if you've ever been on a tour, maybe on vacation, you, you went on a tour, maybe up in Boston, or you've ever gone somewhere, and, and you got a tour guide. Whenever you go on one of those trips, one of the interesting things that I've found is, if I've ever been on a tour, I kind of go into autopilot mode when there's a tour guide, because they're in charge. I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to know the itinerary, the schedule, I don't even have to know where we're going. I'm not checking on Google Maps, I am not worried about it. This guy's the expert. This guy lives here, he's been there, he does it all the time. Take me wherever you decide. I don't live like this anywhere else in my life, but when I'm on a tour, this guy's in charge. I remember last time we were on a tour, our bus with all the people in our church took a right turn up a very small mountain pass, and I looked and I saw a sign that looked to me like it was a one-way sign. Now, it's an international sign, you know, and we're in Israel, and so I'm not quite sure if it means one way or not, but I see it go by, and I, I say to myself, uh-oh. <laughs> but hey, this guy's in charge. He's the bus driver. He knows where he's going. He did not know where he was going. <laughs> it was a one-way sign up a mountain pass, and they're yelling at each other and, you know, cursing each other's families and everything, and we're in the back holding a prayer vigil. <laughs> Turn my brain off, you know. But can I tell you, God... He's a good bus driver. God knows where you need to go. You're safe in his hands. God is a good tour guide. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the destination. He knows the right way to get you there. You might not know the way, but he knows the way. He knows the signs. In other words, he is an authority that you can trust with the direction of your life. He is someone that you can be, put yourself into autopilot or co-pilot mode and say, Lord, guide me in your ways. I trust you. See, when you trust God, when you're able to trust God, then anxiety becomes less powerful because you're relying on something stronger. 
someone greater, something with authority. When you begin to trust God, anxiety must begin to bow. But what you and I have to do in order to be set free from anxiety is we have to relinquish control. We have to relinquish control. We have to choose to give it up. We have to act in this manner. We trust. We trust you, Lord. God, I I know that you know the direction. I know that you know the future. I, I, I choose you. And this is what Jesus asks of us in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he makes an appeal to logic in this section of the sermon. He says, which of you, he's posing this question, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? All of that worry, all of that nervousness, all of that anxiety, has it ever added anything? Has it ever helped? Has it ever changed anything? solved anything. See, Jesus is saying, let's think about this together. Come, let us reason together. Which of you, by being, living, filled with anxiety, has ever changed even one hour, one outcome, one little bit of your span of life? What Jesus is saying is that anxiousness is an ineffective way to live. Why? Because it does not have the ability to change things. In other words, what Jesus is saying is anxiety, in the end, is powerless. Therefore, it's useless. It doesn't have the authority. It doesn't have the ability. We're going to get deeper into this, but can we just acknowledge here that this is a pretty good argument? Come on, have you ever ever anxiously solved something? Have you ever worried your way to an outcome? The reality is it always takes away. It never adds. It always subtracts. It always makes you less. It always devolves. It always leads you into a panicky place. When my dad was teaching us how to swim, he said, all right, now whatever you do, don't panic. He said, because most people don't drown because they don't know how to swim. Most people drown because they panic. And you know, this is true. When, when I, I, I went to go get certified as a lifeguard, they said the same thing. Put it up on the, on the screen. They said, now listen, most people are drowning because they're panicking, not because they can't swim. In fact, some people drown in waters where they could stand up in, but because fear takes over, because they become nervous. So they even said to us, you can't look for someone that looks like they're drowning because normally people who are drowning don't look like they're drowning. They said, you have to look for someone that looks like they're panicking. And that's the only way you can save people because the reality is panic only intensifies the issue. It only heightens the issue. It only makes it worse. It never solves it. It never brings peace, it never brings calm, it never brings assurance, it never brings a solution. Anxiety never brings a solution. It only amplifies the fear without bringing a solution. Imagine with me that you are waiting for a train. You're at Amtrak station looking to go into the city. And imagine that that train has been delayed. It's not here when it was supposed to be. The time on your ticket, the time on the clock, no train is here. Now, what do you do in this situation? Automatically, you can begin to worry about all the things that are to come. You can begin to be filled with anxiety. You can begin to think about the implication of this delay. Think about maybe you're heading into work and 
and now you're nervous you're going to get there late and your boss already just talked to you about getting there late and you have an early morning meeting and you're supposed to present. Everybody's going to be there. You're going to walk in late in front of everybody and you're going to say the train, but nobody's going to believe you. Or maybe you're going to meet your friends and you want to go to the show, but you think, but the show is supposed to start at seven and this train's not going to make it in time. And, and so the lights are going to be down. And then I got to find my seat. And I'm not going to be able to find my seat. And I don't even know where, my friends have the ticket. If you're, if you're not careful when you hit a delay, anxiety can begin to arise in your life. It can begin to take over in your mind, in your heart. You think about the possible implications. What would you do? No normally we'd react. Normally we start thinking, well, you know what? Let me, let me search for a sign to figure out if this train is coming. Let me lean out as far as I'm able. Let me, let me look and, and see if there's any updated signage. Or maybe you ask the passengers around you, do you know? Maybe they know something that you don't. And so you're searching for wisdom from the crowd. Maybe you find an employee, you ask them, do you know anything about when this train is going to come? Because I, I got things to do. Maybe you start getting angry, start getting frustrated. I bought my ticket, I showed up on time, and this thing's not here. I'm mad at the company, I'm mad at the CEO. You write negative reviews, mean tweets. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, no matter what your reaction, no matter how much anxiety, that train is going to come when that train comes. And that train is going to leave when that train leaves. Nothing you will do, nothing you could do, would alter the arrival time of that train. It is a machine beyond your control, conducted by someone else, on someone else's timetable. So all of your anxiety cannot add or take away from that train. It will not be altered. So we have a choice in situations like that. Will you be filled with anxiety or will you choose acceptance? Will you try to control or will you choose to trust? Because the reality is many things in life are like that train. They're headed your way, but they're not here yet. Many things are coming, but they're not here yet. Maybe they're delayed. Maybe you don't know what's happened, and you're wondering. God's plans are on the way, but maybe they haven't arrived yet. Or maybe there's a promise that you really felt God spoke to you, and it's been years, yet that promise is unfulfilled. Maybe you had a dream, and you feel like that dream has been denied. Maybe you had hope. Maybe you've been waiting for opportunity. Maybe it's a child that you've been waiting for, and yet there's delay. Maybe it's a spouse that you've been praying for, and yet they're not here yet. Maybe it's some opportunities in work or some, some visions in your heart, a, a dream that you wanted to pursue, or something you wanted to launch, something you feel like you were made for, and you feel like you're in the right place, you think you're there at the right time, and yet the train has not arrived yet. You and I have a choice in this moment. Will we react or will we choose to accept? Will we react with anxiety, frustration? This is normally what we do. We search for signs. Where is it? So now you're looking in the mail, now you're looking online, now you're reading fortune cookies, you're searching for signs. <laughs> searching for signs. Maybe you're asking your friends, why do you think? Why hasn't this happened yet? Why, why isn't this, hasn't this guy spoke? Why isn't this girl spoke to me? Why, why isn't this, what, why, what, why do you, why? And you're, you're asking maybe your fellow passengers as if they would know. 
Or you're asking employees, you're searching out wisdom, you're, 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 you're looking for authority, all that. Or, or maybe you're getting angry with the CEO saying, you're in charge of this train, and you made the promises, and you set the timetable, and I'm here, and this thing hasn't arrived yet. And so now I'm starting to get frustrated with the CEO. But the reality is, there is a better way in the delay. There is a better way, because your anxiety will not speed up the outcome, but it could ruin the journey. And the journey is life. I don't want to be frustrated, always waiting for another thing in life. I don't want to be angry at the CEO. I don't want to constantly be searching for signs. Instead, I believe there is a better way that God has provided for you and I to live, not in anxiety, not in worry, not in fear, not in nervousness, but it is the path to truth and trust. Proverbs puts it like this in chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Will you read that with me? Come on, all together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Amen. Amen. pastor always said to me, uh, he, he said, when you walk with God, you'll go the right way. You'll be on the right path. Amen. Whenever you're walking with God, God's going to take care of you. He, and he says, because, because you might not know where you're going. And it might even, you might not even know necessarily the reason you're taking this step. You might not have all the data or the assurance. He said, but if you're walking with God, every step you take, God will move the earth underneath your feet so that your foot lands in the right place. Every step you take, he will move circumstances. He will move reality. He will change things underneath your feet if you're walking with him to make your path straight. For God works all things for your good if you love him and are called according to his purposes. God will shift the earth underneath your feet if you choose to trust him. He will make your path straight. But what you have to do, what I have to do, is relinquished control. Is relinquished control. And that's difficult. That's tough. It's easier preached than done. It's easier said than done. Especially when there comes times of confusion. You know? Like, it's easy to trust God when, like, God, it's just it's Christmas morning. <laughs> but it's when things don't make sense. That's when trust matters. You don't need trust if you know the outcome. You don't need faith if you know the future. Trust only can exist in the gaps. Trust can only exist in the delay. Trust can only exist when you don't know, when you're confused, or at least when you don't comprehend. And, and, and this, is, this is when our trust is going to be tried. When a hope is deferred or a dream is unfulfilled or a relationship is broken or a door is closed, what do you do when life doesn't make sense? Can we agree together that God's will is greater than our comprehension? We can agree that God's will is beyond us, that his infinite almighty plan is beyond our finite tiny minds at times. God's will 
is greater than our understanding. Even if he showed it to us, could we even grasp it? And so if that is true, can I ask you this? What if God is doing something for you that is far beyond you? And you might say, but I don't understand. Yeah, but you have an eternal, all-loving, all-knowing, almighty being that is so for you, and he's working all things for you, but it might be far beyond you. Maybe that delay was for your good because God knows what's going on on the other side. I can't, I can't imagine how many things, I can't imagine how many how many things haven't happened to us because of the mighty protective hand of the Lord? I wonder how many things haven't happened to us that we got mad at God about. Like he wouldn't let you marry that person. Thank God. Thank God. He's got a better time scale. He's got a better mind. Come on, how many know God knows more than you? Can we trust that? Or do we have to be in control? Does it have to be on our timetable? Does it have to be done our way? The way we've determined, the way we've prayed. Lord, I prayed, therefore you must do what I've prayed. But if prayer doesn't have at the end submission, if your prayer doesn't have, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will, thy kingdom, thy will. If it doesn't have that, then it's not a good prayer. Present your requests but receive your instructions. Heard one pastor speak about this couple in his church were trying to get pregnant for 12 years. They were praying together for 12 years and nothing had happened until finally, after all that time, the couple came to him and said, Pastor, God fulfilled it. We're pregnant. And he said, I I went to pray for him in that moment. He said, I felt God speak to me that God had allowed this delay Because your son, and he he called the gender right there, it's a 50-50 shot, but it's prophetic. (laughs) Because your son, uh, God has allowed this delay so that your son could meet the person that he's going to marry. And he had to wait this whole time in order for it to be the right time. He said that was 30 years ago. Last week, that couple met him at the altar. They introduced their son and their son's wife. They said they met in college. They were both freshmen together. God's timing is better than our timing. It will set up your destiny. Can you allow God to do things that are far beyond you? Job's friend says this in 36, chapter 36, verse 26. He says, how great is God beyond our understanding? Job had his whole life fall apart. He lost his health, he lost his family, he lost his wealth. All of his friends, even his wife, thought, this is your fault. But there's a fourth man that says to Job in this moment, he says, but how great is God? How transcendent, how above, beyond our understanding. What he was saying is maybe we don't understand what's happening here. Maybe it's not because of your past. Maybe it's not because of your sin. Maybe something is going on in the supernatural. And this was, this was the closest correct answer in the story of Job, that truly something was going on far above Job, in the heavens. And it was a a chess match between God and Satan over the life of Job. Job was in the middle of it, but not knowing God's mighty hand is moving, that though it looks like Satan has the upper hand, God has the ultimate hand, he has the ultimate say, and that he can restore anything that was lost. 
So trust. Trust even in times of confusion because there will be mysterious moments in your walk with God. That will not make sense until afterwards. Some moments that won't make sense until eternity. So you finally get there and you say, God, what was that? And then God will pull up a three-dimensional timeline scale of your life in a hologram form and show you all the connections. And you'll be like, all right, I, I agree with the decision. I, that was a good call. No, no, that was good. I'm good. <laughs> but you got you to choose trust. You got to relinquish control. This is how you overcome anxiety. You got to relinquish control, and then you got to choose trust. You got to, with your own mind, with your own heart, choose to trust he who is beyond you. And this is what Jesus is saying when he's giving that analogy, saying, consider the lilies of the valley, consider the, the, the flowers of the field that God clothes them and makes them more beautiful and stunning than the richest man who's ever lived in all of his glory, that, that the, the, the flowers that you use to start fires, those things are so designed and taken care of by the Almighty. Then he says, how much more will he clothe you? If he does all of this for something that's here today and gone tomorrow, just as normal creation, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What's Jesus aiming for? He's aiming for our trust. He's aiming for our faith. He's aiming for our agreement in him and in his protection because following Jesus will include moments of having to trust him. I could say that statement as like, following Jesus will include moments of having to trust him. But I say it more like a warning. Yeah. <laughs> following Jesus will include moments of having to trust him. And if you've walked with Jesus for any portion of time, there will be winds, there will be waves, you feel like you're walking on water, and only Jesus can pull you through this. There will be valleys of shadows of death where only Jesus is the one that can be able to walk with you through this. If you follow Jesus for any time, there are going to be moments where where he's going to call you into places, into spaces, into opportunities that maybe you wouldn't go yourself, but you're going to trust. You've got to choose to trust. I mean, think about Abraham. God arrives, shows up, and says, get thee up out of thy country and out of thy father's tents where you're home and you feel safe, and go to a land I'll show you. You'll show me? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What is it called? No, no. I'm going to build it. I'm going to architect it. I'm going to make it but just get started one step at a time. He goes to Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, Nineveh is our enemies. They will kill me. They will kill Israel. I hate those guys. I'm not going. And so God says, you've been whaled. <laughs> now, Nineveh. And then Jonah goes, he preaches and they all repent, you know? And Jonah gets mad about that. He's frustrated about full altars. What the heck, I knew it, I'm such a good preacher. I knew the word of the Lord, I knew they were gonna repent. And he's depressed about it. <laughs> Sitting on a, underneath a tree and, and God has to speak to him and say, listen, I need, the whole story of Jonah is will you trust me? I need for you to trust me. You don't know what's best for these people, I do. I created them, I made them, I need you to trust me. And it's really, it's not a picture of Nineveh, it's a picture of Babylon, it's a picture of Gentiles, it's a picture of us, that God came to us when we were yet sinners. And I thank God that, that God, I thank God that he, 
He chose us when we didn't deserve it. That's what the story of Jonah is all about. But he says, Jonah, you got to trust me along the way because you don't know everything. Or think about Joseph woken up in the middle of the night by an angel who says, get up right now, this night, flee to the land of Egypt because Herod is coming to kill the child. And so Joseph has to get up, leave everything, go somewhere he's never, ever been before in order to protect Jesus. What is that? That's trust. That's a step of faith. That's walking into the unknown because God is leading you. Make no mistake, church, your trust will be tried. It will go through trials by fire. There will be moments of difficulty. And you might say, well, well, am I not being blessed? Oh, certainly you're being blessed, but you're also being sanctified. You're also being purified. You're also being grown. God's also teaching you some things. And here is the gap where you have to choose now. Do you hold on to what you have and what you know? Or will you reach to the great unknown? The one who can hold you. The one who knows you. The one who made you in this moment of confusion. And you will have them. Do you choose anger, anxiety, worry, fear, frustration, or do you choose trust? There's a moment where the disciples had to do this. They are with Jesus, and Jesus performs that incredible miracle, feeds the 5,000 fish and loaves. It's abundance. And the people are pumped about this free lunch. So the next day, they go back. Jesus isn't there. They go all over the countryside to find him. When they finally find Jesus, they say, Lord, What you did yesterday was awesome. Will you give us lunch again? This is the Bible. It's just my translation. And Jesus says, look, it wasn't about just bread and loaves. He says, I am the living bread. I am the bread of life, which comes down from heaven. I am what you need. And they don't understand what he's saying. You're the living bread? They know, they understand the illusion, like you're saying you're the new manna. You're sent by God? Then they start talking to each other, grumbling, always murmuring. And they're like, don't we know his father and mother? How can this guy say he's from heaven? We know his parents. And Jesus, knowing their murmuring and grumbling, doubles down like he always does. And he says, listen, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part of me. And all the disciples are like, okay, (laughs) I don't get this. I don't comprehend. I'm confused. I'm not quite sure what you mean here. And do you know that the Bible says many disciples turned away from him? Disciples, not pagans, not Pharisees, not Romans, people that walked with him people that knew him, people that saw the miracles, that ate the loaves and fishes, heard the very voice of God. What caused them to turn their back? Confusion. They chose their knowledge, their preconceived notion, their destiny, rather than trusting God. And they walked away. And then Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, will you leave also? And Simon Peter, it's always Simon Peter, He says, uh, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You've got the word of eternal life. In other words, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't get it either. But I know that you're the one that brings life. I'll trust you even when I don't understand. I'll follow you 
wherever you lead, we'll walk with you. We'll walk with you. That was his choice. Amidst the confusion, he chose Christ. But, but if those 12 didn't stay with Jesus through the confusion, they would have never received communion. They had to walk through the confusion. And many years later, when Jesus breaks the bread on the Last Supper and pours the wine, he says it again, this is my body, this is my blood. The 12 disciples must have been in that moment saying, that's what he was talking about. Can you imagine all those disciples that walked away didn't make it to the table because trust gets you to the table. Trust alone, not money, not good works, not knowledge, not even being a disciple. You could be in the church and not get to the table where the presence is. But if you do get to that table, everything changes. Their, their minds were open. They received an awakening. This is what he meant. This was always about Passover. He's the bread of life. When they saw him lifted up like the manna came from heaven and they saw the blood touch the earth, they understood. This is what he was talking about. We have to receive Jesus to live. His bread, his body is the bread. His, his blood is the wine. We have to receive that. That's what salvation is. But they had to walk with Jesus through the confusion in order to receive communion. And there will be moments where you will be confused. It might last days, months, even years. But if you can trust God and walk with him despite the circumstances, make no mistake, he'll bring you to the table. He'll bless you at the table. You'll be changed at the table. Fellowship, relationship, his presence is at the table. And when you get in the presence, everything changes. Do you remember Zacchaeus stands up from the table and he says, right now, half my wealth I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay him back four times. You say, what happened to Zacchaeus? Well, he used to trust money, but he got invited to the table. And now he says, I don't need to trust that anymore. I trust you. I trust you. Not myself, not my work. Not my plans, not my dreams, not my visions. I trust you, even if I don't fully understand you. Jesus says, if you want to overcome anxiety, you got to relinquish control. you got to choose trust. And lastly, you got to seek the kingdom. He says, the pagans seek after stuff. But you, you're called to seek first the kingdom of God. And then, by the way, everything you need will be added unto you. Everything you need. He is a good God. And if he takes care of the birds and if he takes care of the flowers, he will take care of you. All these things that you need. Maybe not every single thing that you want, but not everything you want is good for you. But everything you need, he'll add it unto you. What you have to do, though, is watch what you chase. Watch what you seek. Anxiety comes from your desire to control. It comes from your inability to relinquish trust, and it comes from chasing the wrong thing. You've got to watch what you chase. Seek the kingdom. Like a heat-seeking missile locks on target. What are you locked on target? What's, what's your time, your energy, your focus? What do your dreams go toward? What's the prize for you? 
What are you locked on target? Jesus says, let it be the kingdom. Let it be the word. Let it be the mind of Christ. Let it be the people of God. Let it be the presence of God. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will begin to follow you. I think Christians struggle with anxiety because sometimes we chase the same thing the world is chasing. And honestly, many times we chase it the same way. We got a different God, but we sort of believe like them or live like them. And many people become obsessed with money, wealth, influence. Many people become obsessed with their education, their career. Many people become obsessed with their children, their children's future, obsessed with their home, obsessed with opportunity, obsessed with things that only bring you worry because you're in control. But if you can become obsessed with God, obsessed with his kingdom, obsessed with being used by him, all these things, they'll be added unto you. Amen. Let's close with this. Peter puts it this way. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anxiety must make way for the Almighty. It is under his authority. And I pray today that you shift your perspective on how you live. That when things don't make sense, you don't double down on them or you don't open the door to fear, but you, you notice that, you know what, maybe God is doing something here. Maybe he's guarding me, maybe he's protecting me. Like, and I, I just want to say this before I close, very practically. Whenever something strange starts happening, I wonder if it's strange, usually it's supernatural. And so what I try and do is back away and say, Lord, are you doing something here? Are you moving? You remember what God says to Moses, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground now. I'm working in this space. If something begins to happen that you don't understand, don't let it be a cause for fear. Let it be a moment to trust. Lord, you are good. You love me. You love my family. You love my children. I don't understand what's happening here. But if you wanted me to have this promotion, I'd have it. If you wanted me to walk through that door, it would do anything that you would want. It will happen. The earth is the Lord's. So if you're allowing this, Lord, work through it and lead me through it. I'm not going to choose to try and control. Today I choose to trust. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.